Listen, if there's anything that I know, um, it's that you've probably, like me, had lots of time to think about some of life's crazy questions, like um, how many licks does it take to get to a Tootsie Pop center of a Tootsie Roll, right? Or, or why is it that, that when you follow the directions on the Orville Redenbacher movie-ready buttered popcorn, that there's still seeds that don't pop? I mean, you know, no, but seriously, life's questions, you know, those deep, deep, deep questions. You've thought about them. I've thought about them. Um, and, and today, I, I want us to, to think about um, a huge question that we would ask. And, and as we're coming into a new series called 30 Days, that question is, in the next 30 days, what will you do to live your life differently? If you could live your life differently over the next 30 days, what would it look like? What would you become? And, and what would your priorities be? Um, and thinking about that, I mean, just so that our questions could be all over the place, um, I want to kind of hint a little bit, and I'm, I, not that I'm trying to manipulate your thinking, but I've thought this through too. And I'm going to throw out over the next four weeks what I think those questions are about how we would live our lives over the next 30 days and, and, and how our life can make a difference. That, that first thing that I think is, is passion. You know, passion is the center of everything, isn't it? And if, and if we had 30 days um, uh, to, to really reorient, reorient our lives and to live in a certain way, would we not want to begin with living our life passionately? You know, passion, passion is a driver. Passion is what, you know, creates awesome music. Passion is behind literature. Passion is what makes great movies. Passion is what, what spurs athletes to move on. Um, to really make a difference. Passion is what's driving the scientists to find a cure for COVID-19. Passion is really where it all begins. The creative force behind everything. Passion is, is what, what makes the impossible possible. Passion is also what, what makes the uh, ordinary become extraordinary. So passion is the key. You know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said something very significant. And I think it's kind of a, a springboard off of where I want us to go today. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 10. He said, I came that they may have life. So Jesus came that you could have life and to have it in abundance. So he doesn't say that I came so that you could have a wee little bit of life. He says, I came that you could have abundance to the full until it overflows. Now think about that. Jesus came to give us life and in abundance so that it overflows. And the question is, do you believe that? I hope you believe that. But you know what? If we believe that, then why are so many of us struggling with passion in life right now? Why are so many uh, feeling like that we can't live our life to the fullest and that, that life is just something to be endured? And that's the challenge that's before us. You know, have you, ever, have you ever had a birthday party and, and somebody brought you helium balloons? I don't, I don't think we can do that anymore with helium. But, but remember those helium balloons? Uh, I think they stopped developing helium because guys like me and you too, well, we kind of, you know, inhale that and change our voices and probably burn a few brain cells with it too. But, you know, when you had those helium balloons and, and one would get uh, away, what would happen? It would float to the top of your ceiling. And especially as, you, as we began to live in homes with like cathedral ceilings and things like that, they would be out of reach and we couldn't get to them. But what we always knew was we didn't have to worry because we knew that the next day that we woke up, what? That, that somehow that helium would find a way to fizz out of that balloon and that what was out of reach then would slowly come down into life. 
You know, that's a, that's a parable for life, isn't it? That, that we find ourselves on these great highs, but then something comes and, and oozes out the passion from us. In fact, as I talk with people, I find that there are many people uh, who die before they actually die. And, and they're struggling because that the passion just isn't there. Jesus said, I've come to bring abundance. And we, if we really believe that, then we've got to understand that God's design for our life is to have abundance, it's to have life, it's to have passion. And God means that with the, with the greatest level of generosity that comes from his heart. Well, what happens and, and, and why is it that we lose passion? And I wanna, I wanna give you a couple of things to think about of what, what I think are passion killers. Um, these, are, these are things that we can find in the scriptures. So I always wanna make sure that it's not just my thought, but that we tie it back to what God's word says. And, and the first um, passion killer is, is what I call an emotional passion killer. And that emotional passion killer is a cloudy purpose or not being able to know your purpose in life, okay? So our life has to have a purpose. Your life has a purpose. And hopefully you know what that purpose is. But when you find yourself not understanding the purpose or when circumstances of life begin to cave in on you and it clouds your ability to see your purpose, then all of a sudden that emotional quotient is coming in and it will rightfully kill your passion. You know, having a, having a purpose in life is the difference every morning and waking up and saying, good morning, Lord, versus good Lord. It's morning? I mean, it, it's a huge difference that we see. When you forget and you don't know God's purpose and passion for your life, you drift and you, you kind of live a life of apathy and, and you kind of live a life of lethargy. You, you just drift along. That's not what God wants. Listen, I've, I've had seasons in my life when, when I've lived that way, when lethargy and drifting uh, came in and I realized that, that you know, I, I needed to rediscover my passion. I needed to rediscover my purpose. And I believe that, that many of us are going through that possibly right now. But listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah said, I've labored to no purpose at all and I've spent my strength in vain for nothing. So even this great prophet of God struggled with this. But Isaiah says that, that something great would come and he prophesied for that, even though he had the shortcomings of, of his passion leaking out. So passion and purpose go together. You can't have purpose without passion. You can't have passion without purpose. And these are the big things that we see. The more you understand God's purpose for your life, the greater the passion will be as you move forward with life. It's something that, that you'd rather be doing than anything else because when you know your passion, you're, you're lit up and you're excited about it and your purpose. And, and, and no matter what's gonna happen, you're gonna pursue it no matter what. In fact, when your passion and purpose are in the same vein, you're willing to, to pursue that even more than money. You're willing to pursue that more than anything else. Why? Because it's valuable and it makes sense for your future. Here's the second killer of passion. And it's what I call relational passion killers. Relational passion killers are hurts that are left unresolved. Listen, um, I'd be willing to bet that, that most of us, or if not all of us could say that at some point in our life, we've had a hurt that we've never resolved. And it just kind of itches at you and itches at you. It kind of like chafes away. It's like a, like a scab that won't heal because we keep picking at it. And, and it's a hurt that won't go. I mean, if you've, if, you've ever, if you've ever experienced a morning when you woke up and you said, today is gonna be a great day. And then all of a sudden, let's say you're married and all of a sudden you're, you're going out of your house and, and you say something to your spouse that isn't a good thing. 
You know what I'm talking about. And he or she looks at you and they fire right back and immediately there's conflict that's in the house. You can't begin your day on an emotional high and on a passionate high if your emotional quotient is low. And what we see from that is, is the challenges that comes. It's like, it's like the sound of a, of a tire that goes flat. If you've ever been driving down a highway and you hear that explosion, boom! That's what happens in our emotional pieces when we don't have it all together. Some of us, we're, we're in constant struggles with others. We are in constant conflict with our loved ones. We're in constant conflict with our workforce. We're in constant conflict with our friends. We're in constant conflict with our neighbors, our teachers. It goes on and it goes on and on and on. And let me tell you, as long as you're staying with that unresolved conflict emotionally, you're never going to get to your passion. So we have to learn to let that go. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, love God with everything that there is about you. And then he kind of puts this twist on it. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and he talks about the love that comes from that. We've got to recognize that loving God and loving others, they come together. They're not separate. It's one thing. And it's one thing indeed. There's a, there's a person called Job. And Job is, is in the Old Testament. He's in the Old Testament scriptures, and, and Job is part of the wisdom literature that we see of the scriptures. And Job is an individual who, who had everything together in life, and all of a sudden, uh, everything is taken away. He loses his wealth, he loses um, his house, he loses his children, they, they're killed. He's left with his wife, and he's left with some friends that are constantly nagging on him. And listen to something that Job said. Job said, resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. So resentment and jealousy, those are the two words. Those are the two words that are constantly itching and chafing at our relationships. Jealousy and resentment. There they are. Resentment is, is allowing a prior hurt that's unreconciled, unresolved, to continue to eat at you. That's what resentment is. Resentment means that, that for whatever reason, you've chosen not to deal with it. You've chosen either to avoid the conflict, you didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings, you were afraid that they'd, they'd uh, you know, take you off Facebook, or, or they wouldn't talk to you or this, and you just kind of stuff it, but it just constantly eats at you. And let me, know, let, me, let me tell you why I know it eats at you, because it's something you're constantly thinking about. And when you see that person or you think about that person, you immediately go back to what that wound or that hurt is because it's unreconciled, it's unresolved. And the challenge of it is it's, it's been in the past. Now here's the scary part about it. Sometimes, if not in most instances, the person you're mad at doesn't even know you're mad at them. Maybe they've forgotten what, what happened, or maybe they thought it had been dealt with, but you haven't, and you're holding on to it. And Job continues to write that when you do that, you're only hurting yourself with your own anger. Have you ever hurt yourself with your own anger? I mean, I know what it's like to get angry at others, but have you, have you hurt yourself? Yeah, you have. And Job says we have to watch that. We have to watch. So if you're going to keep your relationships healthy, you have to make sure that you're dealing with an unresolved conflict. You have to have the courage. You have to have the spiritual chops to be able to deal with it and to be able to move forward. Because until you let that go, you know, great things can't happen. So what happens if, if, if the person that you're in conflict with, what happens if they won't let it go? What happens if they won't deal with it? What happens if they've died and, it, and you can't do that? Folks, that's where forgiveness comes in. And forgiveness is probably the greatest gift that God has given us outside of our salvation 
But it's also what I would say is the most misunderstood thing that can happen. You see, a lot of us think that if I'm going to forgive somebody, it means that I'm going to wimp out. It means I'm going to sell out and I'm going to say what they did was right. And, and even though they harm me, that hey, I'm going to let it go because, you know, that's what forgiveness does. And, 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 but, but yet then we, we end up giving cheap grace because we don't forgive. But forgiveness isn't that at all. Forgiveness is a gift for the offended, not the offender. Did you hear that? Forgiveness is a gift for the offended, not the offender. Because when the offended forgives the offender, the, the offended, the person who's been harmed says, I'm now trusting to let this go to God. I'm no longer going to let this you know, take my passion out of life. I'm no longer going to let it rule my life. I'm no longer going to let it uh, maneuver and rule over me. So forgiveness means saying, God, I've been holding on to this for so long, but I'm tired of it, and I'm just going to give it to you now. And it's like transferring what it is you're holding on to out of your hands into the hands of God, and you're just saying, God, I'm going to let you deal with this. I'm no longer going to let this destroy me. I'm no longer going to let this to deflate me. I'm no longer going to let this to, to ruin me, but, but by transferring this into your hands, God, it's going to renew my passion. It's going to make me the better person. You see, some of the hardest words that we can say, there's a couple of these. The two hardest words that we can say is, I'm sorry. And the three hardest words that we find ourselves that we say is, I forgive you. Because, because we're not reading it right. We're not understanding it right. Jesus said that, that something is important here because when we forgive... We're acknowledging what God has already done for us. When Jesus took the nails on the cross, when he took the spear in the side, when he gave up his breath, when the temple curtain was torn, it was at that moment right then and there that our need for forgiveness was resolved. Jesus paid it all. And he paid it all at the price. And he said, because I've forgiven you, it's time for you now to forgive others. And we're called to do that. That's the emotional piece. Now, there's two spiritual passion killers. The first one is, is a life left unexamined. And the second one is, is a faith that's not shared. So let me talk about a life left unexamined. This is the first spiritual passion killer. You know, um, throughout the world, we've had these great philosophers, Socrates. Do you remember back when you might have read some Socrates? Don't know if we teach Socrates anymore, but when I grew up, we did. Um, but Socrates was a great philosopher of the ancient world. He said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And he says, it's not, it's not, it's not worth living. So, so basically, if, if we, we're not willing to examine our life, then, then we really don't have to, there's no life to live. Now, long before Socrates came up with that brilliant statement, the writers of scripture beat him to the punch. And here's what it says in Lamentations. Let us look closely at our ways and examine them and then return to the Lord. So let us look at our ways, let us examine them, and then let us return to the Lord. It's a good practice regularly in your life to hit the pause button, to step back, and to examine who you are as a person. Listen, none of us bat a thousand, okay? None of us hit it out of the park all the time. In fact, um, we all struggle, don't we? And that's why it's so important for us to hit the pause button, to evaluate our life, to step back, and then to look back up at God. You see, when we, when we do that, a couple things happen. And this is what's really important. When you take a step back and you review your life and you look at it, 
You're given God, or God's now taking the opportunity to look inward into your life. But it can't just stop there. You've got to open your eyes. You've got to open your ears. You've got to open your heart because God is going to speak a truth into this. And God is going to say, here is something that you have left unreconciled in your life that you have got to deal with because that thing there is, is called sin and you've got to deal with it. And, and that's where we've got to really look closely at these things and we've got to confess it when God points it out. And we've got to say to God, listen, this is not the life that you want me to live. This is not in relationship with you. It's not in relationship to others. And I confess it. And what do the scriptures say? The scriptures say when we do that, that God forgives us and God moves us into a life of, of greater importance. The psalmist writes in 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Have you ever felt guilty like that, that, that you just like felt weighed down? You felt like your life was just being smothered. He says, I bowed down and you brought me low. Passion and guilt cannot co-live. They cannot coexist with each other. You cannot be passionate and be guilty of anything. <clears throat> they, they just can't happen. So you've got to get rid of the guilt. You've got to go and you've got to repent. And Jesus said that if you confess your sins, if you come to me honestly, I'll forgive that, I'll forgive you. And not only will I forgive you, but I will make you a new creation. It's almost like scrubbing us from the inside out. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So, so um, I don't know about you, but I can tell you that, that I, I have to force myself to do this. Um, I get too busy with stupid stuff. And I forget that, that, that even I, a pastor of the church, but more importantly, a child of God, that I've got to hit the pause button in my own life. And I've got to look at all of the, the warts and all of the scars and, and all of the, the crap that's in my life. I'm sorry I said crap. All the stuff in my life. And I've got to look at that. And I've got to see where I'm falling short. And I've got to give that back to God. And that's how life will change. Here's the second one on the spiritual side. A faith that is not shared. A faith that is not shared. And, and an unexpressed faith will cause you to lose vitality. If all you're doing is living your life for yourself, you will lose vitality. If it's all about you, you will have short-lived passion. It will not be long-term passion. It won't have any longevity. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things that we speak truly, that we deal with it truly, and that we live truly. Paul says that, that you, were, you were made to express truth. You were made to express faith. Now, did you know that God has a message uh, about your life, that, that there's something in your life that God has given you a message, and God has put that message in you, and God has said that I've created you to be my special messenger with your special, unique message. It's kind of like a, a puzzle with a lot of pieces. Patty does a lot of puzzles, like thousands of pieces, and, and, unless the dog eats one, then it can't be finished. But, but the whole point, though, is, is that, that all of us have a story. All of us have a perspective, and God uses that for the tapestry of his plan for the world. So that unique message can only be shared because of you, and only you can share it. I can't share your story. You can't share mine. We have to share our own story, but we also have to express it. But something stops us from doing that. First, the world gets cheated when we don't do it. When you don't tell your story, then the world gets cheated. Let me tell you why. 
There's somebody right now that you know or doesn't know you but will see you in the next couple of days or weeks and they'll wonder if their life could be any different but that your life looks to be so perfect and they see problem after problem after problem in their own life. And if you're not willing to let them know the truth about your life, if you're not willing to say, I struggle, friend, with the same things that you are, but let me tell you what God has done in my life to make a difference, that person will never make a decision for Jesus because they will think that the battle is far lost. But when you share your story, when you tell them about your warts, when you tell them about your problems, when you tell them about your shortcomings, they will see the truth. The second thing is the reason that you need to tell your story is so that you don't lose your passion. I, I meet a lot of people, and I'm sure you do too. And the thing that I see that's very consistent in, in all these things is, is that, that the person who is not the taker in life but the person who takes but then gives back, and I'm not talking about money, but takes and then gives back into life, that's the person who lives a passionate life. Let me give you an example. In Israel, in the northern part, there's a sea called um, the Sea of Galilee. It's living. Jesus did most of his ministry around that. Uh, he walked on water, all those things that we know in the scriptures that say that. It's a living body of water. It's still fished in today. Why is it living? Because it has multiple tributaries that pour into it, that come out of Lebanon and other regions that keep the water moving and life is regenerated. And, and the Jordan River is one of the great rivers that comes out of the Sea of Galilee. But the Jordan River travels south to the second sea that I want to talk about, and that's the Dead Sea. So you have the Sea of Galilee full of life in the north, and you've got the, the Dead Sea in the south. The de it's just what it says. It's dead. It's briny. It's filled with chemicals. If you get in it, you'll float. And when you get out of it, you've got like crusts and scales all over you that you have to scrape off. Why is that? Because all it does is take. It just takes all the water that comes in, and it does not allow any water to leave. It doesn't give back anywhere. So it's dead. It has no passion. And that's what, that's what we see here. It stinks, it's dead. But it's a parallel for life. If we want to be alive and filled with passion, we have a choice. Do we want to be a Sea of Galilee person full of life and energy because we take in and give? Or do we want to be a Dead Sea soul where all we do is take and nothing comes out of that? The psalmist writes, each day tell someone that God saves. That's our mission Every day, tell, tell somebody that God saves. Why were you created? It was to, to be the facilitator of that message. And that's it. Tell somebody about God. The most joyful people I know are the ones that, that tell people about Jesus. They're the people that say, this is what God has done in my life. This is how, when I met Jesus, my life has changed. That's why they're passionate, because they're taking in what God gives them, and they're giving back what God has given them to others, and they're changing the world. Peter writes that you are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others the night and day difference that he made for you. Let me tell you, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible expert to be able to do that. All you have to do is say to somebody, this is how Jesus changed my life. And how I know it's Jesus is because I couldn't have done it myself. And because he's changed my life, this is how I'm different. God is looking for people. He's looking for you and me to do that. He's looking for straw bearers. You know, and, and what I mean by that is he wants us to be a straw. God says, I'm, I'm looking for people that will be the funnel that will take my message into the world. 
So let me ask you as we finish here today, let me ask you two really important questions. Two questions, here they are. The first is, how long has it been since you've talked with anybody about Jesus Christ? How long has it been since you've talked to anybody about Jesus? And the second question I want us to, to, to think through this week is, um, how long has it been since you told anybody what God has done in your life? Have you talked to anybody about Jesus and, and have you told them what God has done in your life? Have you ever done that? Have you ever expressed yourself? Have you ever been willing to go out on a limb? You know, um, people aren't gonna come to you, folks. We've gotta go to them. And that's what Jesus did. So how are we gonna live life like no other over the next 30 days? How are we gonna begin to do that? We're gonna begin today by living passionately. We've talked about how to do that. And even if you don't feel like it, I want you to reach for it. The Apostle Paul, um, he was great about uh, sports kind of analogies. That's why Paul is a guy's guy, I think. And Paul said that, that we need to think about reaching to make changes in our life, even to live passionately. It's like a sporting event. He says that we've got to work hard and we've got to compete for it and we've got to move forward and train, but more importantly, execute in our ability to do that. Here's what he says. You know that many runners take part in a race, but only a few of them wins the prize. Listen to this. Run then in such a way as to win the prize. Notice he doesn't say run so that you finish first. He says run however you're going to run, but you have to run. Whether it's a slow run or a sprint, he doesn't mention it. He just says run so that you are going to, as if you're going to win the prize. Every athlete in training submits to strict discipline in order to be crowned with a wreath that will not last. But we do it for one that will last forever. He's talking about our salvation. He's talking about our salvation. That's why I run straight for the finishing line, Paul says. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm like a boxer who doesn't waste his punches. I harden my body with blows and I bring it under complete control to keep myself from being disqualified after having called others to the contest. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying you gotta get in the game. He says that you gotta pursue passion. Even when you don't wanna train, you gotta train for it. Even when you don't wanna execute for it, you've gotta execute for it. Why? Because it's that important. So if you're having a, a bad day, if you're lethargic, if you're not sure what life is, get off the couch, be passionate, get your purpose, and move forward with Christ. Why? Because in the next 30 days, God will make a difference. Why? Because you're gonna begin to live passionately.